Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Hey, good morning, church. How are you doing? You all right? Feeling good? Nathan, feeling good? Doing all right? It's good to have you here. Jay, it's good to have you here. I can see you guys up front. I can see some of you in the back too, so don't mess around. Glad to have you here in the house together, worshiping together, and glad to have you worshiping with us at home. Majority of our church still worships with us online, and we know you're, we're united with you. We're one church, one spirit, and God's got us united together on this mission called First President, and it's a joy to be united together. Today's Communion Sunday. We're gonna take communion in just a little while, and I hope that you're ready at home to do that, but before we get to the table, we're gonna look at Psalm 14, and we've got some work to do, friends. This is a challenging one, okay? So open your Bibles to Psalm 14. We're gonna go through the psalm together. I'm about to read it for you, and as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as ever, when we open your word, we just feel um, so inadequate to understand it and, 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 to, and to live our lives by it. So what we pray is that you send your spirit to speak to us your living word, full of grace and truth. And Lord, please, help us see Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Psalm 14. For the director of music, a psalm of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. Do all these evildoers know nothing? They devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. But there they are overwhelmed with dread. For God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor. But the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. This is God's word. We're grateful. Amen. We are in this series looking for Jesus in the Psalms of David. And today we're talking about this word, just. That David knew a God who is just. Now, what do you mean by the word justice? And why are we looking at that in this psalm? How do you use a word like justice? I think if you're like me, justice feels like a word that gets thrown out there a lot. And and if we don't sort of understand what we mean by it, it can get slippery and sort of slide right off the deck. And, um, and so I always want to ask, okay, what do you mean by it? What do you mean by justice? Let, us, let me give you a definition for us, church, this morning, a definition of justice. Justice is life lived together the way God wants it. That's justice. Life together the way God wants it. That's what David was looking for. In this series, What David Knew, we are finding Jesus in the Psalms of David. Now, today's psalm is a pretty dark one, isn't it? It's what you call a bad news psalm. It's bad news. 
and it kind of gets worse and worse. It's deep, it's dark, it's painful, right up until the very end when there's just a little bit of light. But that light at the end of the tunnel is huge. It's huge. David knew God is a God of justice and righteousness. And what did David know? He knew that when he was pushed down, when he was chased around, when, when things in his life were, when he was walking through the dark valley and he didn't know when he was gonna see the light of day again, what David knew, even when he was himself the victim of terrible injustice, that we'll talk about, what David knew is that God is righteous and just and that God is on the way to make things right. I was at the home of a young uh, Christian family in our church recently, and we were having a, a Bible study together, and, um, and they've got um, kids, and, and, and the, 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 the dad forgot to call the babysitter. And so, um, so it fell on the mom, because the dad was leading, it fell on the mom to take care of the kids while the Bible study was going on. Are you following? And so the mom was taking care of the kids. Kids are two boys, one's three, one's one. That's a handful. You got me? So here's the mom chasing the boys around, and, uh, and the husband looks up kind of uh, over, his, you know, over his Bible and says, oh, so sorry, honey, so sorry. I swear that I will make it up to you. And then uh, kind of joking, he says, if not in this life, certainly in the next. <laughs> right? Like, if I can't help, if I can't make it up to you in this life, surely you'll find rewards in heaven. And uh, that's a solid Christian joke right there. I mean, that is, that, that is solid Bible study humor, no doubt. But I think it rang a little bit empty on the ears of the mother as she was chasing those boys around. Look, we want a God of justice and a God who's, who's interested not just in justice in the next world, but a God who's interested in justice in our world. We want a God who is on the move to make things right. Well, that's what David knew. David knew that God is righteous and just, that God is good and God is involved, that God is, 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 is interested in justice and God is on the way. God loves justice, hates injustice. It's right through the scriptures. David knew God is on the way to make things right, though at times it may seem like he delays. I think there are times in David's life where literally... He could not have gotten out of bed that, that morning without believing that. So church, I want you to have that in your heart. I want you to believe in that. We need to know that God is good and God is on the way to make things right. David suffered terrible injustice. A little bit of the story of David. The first king of Israel was called Saul. And Saul, he, uh, he actually snatched David away from the job that he liked which was being a shepherd in Bethlehem. And he pulled him into his court where he was a musician. So Saul would have David play music to entertain him. And whenever Saul was sort of not feeling good, you know, he's, he's, he's stirred up, he's, he's in turmoil, you know, he had a bad sandwich, you know, he's, he's got, but he's it's serious though, he's, when he's, he's heavy, he would make David play music to make him feel better. So he'd say, David, play me a song. David would play a song, ah, oh, I feel a little better. That's nice, isn't it? Isn't that nice? Here's what happened one day. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. 
Now, David eluded him, eluded him, got away from it. He eluded him, what's that last word? Twice. Not once, twice. Right? And so Saul, you see, he was, he was envious, he was jealous of David because the Lord was with David, the Lord was blessing David when Saul himself had turned his back on the Lord. And so he watched God's blessing on David and he got so envious, so jealous that he kept David close to him just because he was so rotting with envy and he he wanted to just keep an eye on him. So what did he do? He put David in his army just to keep an eye on him. He he had David come in and marry one of his daughters just to sort of keep him close. I just got to keep my eye on this guy. I hate this guy so much. And and he'd draw David in just because at his core he hated him. And so on it went, and years after, here comes another very special day in David's life. While David was playing the lyre, this is another day, years later, while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. Well, that night, David made good his escape. See, spear me once, shame on you. Right? Spear me twice. You know the saying? It's, it's kind of it's how it goes, right? But you know what? For David, this was not, it's not a funny moment at all. He lost his job. He lost his income. He lost his position. He lost his wife. He lost his house. He lost everything he had. Why? This terrible injustice. The king that he was trying to serve just turned on him and tried to pin him to the wall and take his life. It was against him. And all of a sudden, he lost everything to injustice. Listen, you can't make it through that kind of thing without God. You can't. You cannot. And I don't know if that's exactly when Psalm, when, uh, Psalm 14 got written, but, it's, but I tell you, Psalm 14 fits right in there because this is a time of pain, of injustice, of helplessness, and it's one of these moments where David's got to be thinking, man, if God isn't there, you know, if God doesn't exist, what if God's not there? If God were not on my side as David writes in another psalm. If it were not that God is on our side, David would have been lost. How do you handle injustice? You cry out to a God who is just. Verse one says this. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is none who does good. The fool. The fool. The fool is a known character in the Old Testament. You can read about the fool in the Psalms, the prophets, uh, the Proverbs. There's lots about the fool in the Proverbs. And you kind of get this character, this picture of the fool. Now, the fool in this verse, the fool is not, this is not a principled atheist. This is someone who, who just wants to live their life as though there is no God. That's the fool. See, the fool isn't really asking the questions because if God were there, that would be supremely inconvenient for the life that they want to live. So they're not seriously digging in to get answers. No, what they're just saying is, I want to live my life as though there is no God because I'm, I've got a life that I want to live. I've got a life that I want to run. And, and so I stop asking the question. The fool disregards that the Lord's expectations. The fool lives as though there's no responsibility for his actions, either for, 
for God or for others. Like, I don't have to live responsible for my actions. That's the fool. And what does the fool do? The fool consumes the vulnerable and the weak. He eats them up like bread. As it says in verse four in the psalm. He eats the, they devour my people as though eating bread and they don't even, they don't even pray before they do it. They thrive in in corruption. That's the fool. The fool thrives in corruption. Like the more corrupt everything is, the better it is for the fool. Because they're gonna make money off of that. They're gonna make profit off of that. And they truly believe, this is the other thing, the fool truly believes they're gonna get away with it. They really believe that God doesn't see what they're doing. Psalm 10 puts it this way. It says, he says to himself, the fool, God will never notice. God will never see what I'm doing. He covers his face. He never sees. It's my experience. That's the fool. That's the fool. They live as though God doesn't exist. They frustrate the plans of the poor. They feed on the vulnerable and the weak. And they act like God isn't even there. It's never going to come. There's never going to be a day to pay. Don't you hate the fool? The fool is a, the fool is a horrible person, isn't he? I mean, terrible. Man, if I, if I find a fool, I'm going to get him. Right? Verse 2. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Say it with me. Not even one. Uh Uh-oh. We're going to go get that fool, right? But there's no one. There's no one who does good, not even one. Okay, so here we go. Draw a line right down the middle of the room. Uh, Everybody who is... The fool, move on over to this side of the room. You just move on over. You don't have to. Let's just pretend. Let's just pretend, okay? So everybody on this side of the room, you're the fool, okay? You're the fool. Now, everybody on this side of the room, okay, good. This side of the room, you're who's left. You're the ones that are left. After we put all the fools over here, here's on this side of the room, here's everyone, everyone who, well, let's just let's take a look here. It's everyone who has never taken the benefit of the deal without asking who got hurt buy it. Good job. You've never taken advantage of anyone. That's who's on this side. Over on this side is is everyone who has never chosen what's convenient over what's right. That's what's on this side of the room. Right over here. All y'all. Over on this side of the room, see over here is the fool. We know the fool. But over here is everyone who has, has never done a single thing in secret, trusting that if I, can just, if I can just keep it secret enough, then I'll get away with it. And even God won't see it happen. That's who's on, on this side. You guys feeling comfortable over here? Anybody squirming over here yet? Feeling like, oh boy, you wanna change your position? A minute ago, you were so happy to be over here. You know, the fool's over there. Who's the fool? We're all the fool. We're all the fool. 
No one has done good, not even one. The Lord looks over mankind and he just doesn't find. We're all the fool. So what happens to the fool? Well, it tells us a little bit more. The fool feels dread. With the fool, anxieties rise. Anxieties rise. The partner psalm to Psalm 14 is Psalm 53. And Psalm 53 actually puts us just a little bit differently. I want to read this for you, verse 5. But there they are, overwhelmed with dread, when there was nothing to dread. So what's going on with the fool? They're jumping at shadows, and they can't sleep at night, and they've got anxiety where there's no grounds for anxiety. They just, they're eating themselves from the inside out, and they say, I thought I got away with it. I thought no one knew what happened. I thought I, I closed the deal, and they didn't see it, and they didn't see it, and I know God doesn't care because God just lets us all run and do whatever we want, but no, what's happening to the fool? The fool is getting eaten away from the inside out by their own conscience. So they start to fear stuff that isn't even there. Jumping at shadows and growing in anxiety. And friends, that's, that's where we can all sit. And that's where it all would end. That's where it would all close out. That's where we all would be. You know, because just as it says in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. All of us. And that's where it would close out and finish up. Except the last verse. Verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel, for the people of God. Oh, that salvation would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. The Hebrew word for salvation right there, you can write on your margin of your Bible, the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Yeshua, Jesus. I think we're here because we're trying to find Jesus in the Psalms of David. And David says, oh, that Yeshua would step forward out of Zion. Oh, that God would send salvation, that he would send Yeshua to come. And when God sets things right and when God restores and when God sends salvation, let the people of God rejoice. Let the people be glad. Because you know what? We were all, every one of us, helpless and hopeless, except that the Lord would save. God is just and is on the way to make things right. Friends, our hope is not that the wise overcome the fools. Our hope is that the Lord sends Jesus, that the Lord saves, and that all of us, every one of us, all of us fools alike are saved by his grace. Amen? So church, let me lead us into some difficult waters here. Where do you hear the word justice? You know, where do you, where do you hear that word being used? It's all over the place. Our world needs it. It's thirsting for it. In May 2020, a man named George Floyd died under the knee of Derek Chauvin uh, shortly after being under his knee for uh, nine minutes. In April 2021, last month, Derek Chauvin was tried before a judge and jury of his peers 
and found guilty. In the meantime, a national discussion or a shouting match emerged. Over what? Over justice. We need justice. Now, my friends in the black community, they tell me after the, after the, the, uh, the, the final verdict came out, they said, Tim, I don't really feel a lot of peace. I don't really feel a lot of satisfaction. Uh, they still feel vulnerable. They still feel threatened. They still feel that there's change to be made. My friends in the, in the police community, you know, they don't feel a lot of peace. They, they feel um, targeted. They feel vilified. They feel um, unappreciated. Our own police department here in town, CSPD, is, is uh, seeing officers resign at three times the rate that they, that they ordinarily do. And so we're, where are we? Church, how do we find a way forward? Here's what's happening. We're engaged in a new experiment. We are trying as a community, as a nation, we are trying to find a common understanding of justice without any common faith in God. That's a new experiment, and for me, I don't think it's going to work. For me, it's the fool's errand, like the fool out of verse 1. How do you solve these things pretending God isn't there? What is justice without a God of justice? See, every worldview, every worldview has to do two things at least. They have to make sense of what's wrong in the world, and they have to offer a solution, a way to fix it. So what if your worldview is, is that I'm, I'm sort of living as if there is no God, a practical atheism, and I'm not including God, I'm not seeking God, and I don't believe in God, I don't believe in sin. What if that's your worldview? Well, if that's your worldview and there is no God, well, then it's just us. If there is no God, then it's just us. And if it's just us, well, then if something's gone wrong, we're the only ones here. And so we've got to account for that. And how do I account for that? If something's gone wrong, well, then there's a villain and there's a victim. And the only way to fix this is to find the villain and get rid of him. And so if, it's, if, there's, if we're trying to solve this without appealing to God, without appealing to who God is, then all we can do is say there's a, there's a righteous group and there's an unrighteous group, and they should be pitted against one another. But what if, what if there isn't a righteous group and an unrighteous group? What if there's just a bunch of us individuals and we've all got virtue and vice and sin and righteousness all running through us and it's got us all mixed up. That combat is in every single individual. See, the common worldview doesn't have lenses in the worldview to capture anything like that. All they can see is that someone's supposed to lose and someone's supposed to win. There must be a good group and a bad group. And right now they're just naming the bad group. That's the bad group. We're all against them. And it separates us out and pits us apart from one another. But we know that's not true. We know that's not true. Right now, the lines are drawn in hate. We say, we hate them. Well, why? We hate them because they hate us. Well, why? Well, they hate us because we hate them, right? And you just draw those lines. You get them really deep. And you jump into your foxholes. You start firing across the range. What does the gospel say? The gospel says something different entirely. What the gospel says 
So that when the world tries to separate you out and say, you guys separate out and stand against each other, the gospel says something entirely different. The gospel of Jesus Christ says we are all, every one of us, fallen. We are all, every one of us, in need, both in our individual sins and when we get together in our corporate sins. We are all messed up. And the sin that runs through my veins is running through your veins too. And when we get together, we are all together lost. We are all together helpless. We are all together in need and confused and struggling. And we can all together be saved. Because God sends a Savior, Yeshua. And this Savior is on the way. Just as David saw the Savior, and he knew in his, in, his, you know, in his despair that God and his Savior are bigger than Saul. God and his Savior are bigger than the, the range of Saul's authority in his kingdom. God and his, and his sovereignty are bigger than Saul's armies. God and his Savior are bigger than, than the injustice of a sin-sick king that's tearing my life apart. And God and his Savior are on the way to make a difference and to set things right. We can know that too. Because the gospel presents us with a Savior who took injustice and sin onto himself. We're all together lost. But he took it all onto himself. And we know he's bigger than that. We know he's bigger than injustice. Why? Because he took all that sin, all that injustice, everything that's wrong with the world, all the ways that we hurt ourselves and hurt others when we turn away from God and we run our own course and when we act like God isn't there and when we play the fool and all the pain that that causes, Jesus took that onto himself. And he went to the cross and he died for it. But we know he's bigger than the power that that has. Why? Because he didn't just die. He rose again from the dead. And so in Jesus we have a Savior strong enough to set things right. My appeal to you, brothers and sisters, is this. It isn't us and them. It isn't us and the fool's on the other side of the room. No, it's just us, all together. And we need a savior, all together. And all together we can be saved. So the good news is we have a savior, Jesus. Yeshua out of Zion, and he is bigger, and he is greater, and he is more powerful than all injustice. He's bigger than racism. He's more righteous than our own attempts to make things right. That's Jesus, and when we are saved by his grace, when we together not come against each other, but we find one another on our knees, side by side before him, when he moves with his grace, then we, our hearts erupt with a thirst for his justice in his kingdom, and we rise up and move forward. Amen? That's what David knew. He couldn't have gotten out of bed without it. God is on the way to make things right. Friends, this might be too silly to say in a message so serious, but I'm going to say it anyway. It might help you. Here it is. Justice without Jesus is just us. Justice without Jesus is just us. And if it's just us, we can't solve it. We can't fix it. We can't, make, we can't make a difference. Come on. How woefully inadequate our efforts to heal the problems that we have ourselves created in our disobedience and sin. But with Jesus, with a Savior out of Zion, then there's, there's redemption, there's restoration, there's hope. There's hope that God is righteous and just. 
Was, was Jesus just? Did Jesus care about justice? Absolutely. Jesus was so committed to justice, his commitment to justice put him on the cross. Because God is righteous and just, and God can't tolerate and will not allow injustice to exist. What would you think of a God that just allowed murder and, 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 and envy and, and greed and, and all these horrible things, uh, abuse, to exist? What would you think of a God who just let that happen and just thought, ah, I'm not too worried about that? That's not who God is. God is righteous and just, and God moves with wrath against the injustices that we create. But God sent his son Jesus so that when he poured out his wrath against injustice, Jesus took it all on himself and he took it all to the cross and he died for every bit of it. Friends, what does that mean for you and for me? That means we don't line up, pit ourselves one against the other. We get on our knees side by side and we seek a savior out of Zion and there's hope in him that all can be redeemed, forgiven, restored, and that all can come to the table, even, even us fools. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're with us and that you are just and true. We thank you that you've invited us to your table, and we pray, Lord, that you give us the grace to come and sit with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprezcos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.